You are listening to Muslim in Moderation, discussions on minority culture, identity and politics with Ali Ahmed. My brother's first job out of university was in a small oil town in Alberta, Canada. A few months after 9-11, he was heading home from work when he decided to stop at the town's bus station to play an arcade game. A short while later, a national police officer approached him wanting to talk after his game was done. But my brother is really good at Street Fighter. So when his game hadn't ended 10 minutes later, he and the officer agreed to talk while he played. The officer asked him why he'd been looking into different bus routes and timings, but of course, he hadn't been. It was a case of racial profiling. Unfortunately, this experience has been all too common for young North American Muslim men in the post-9-11 era. Episode 4 of the podcast features Nader Hassan, a criminal and constitutional lawyer recognized by Best Lawyers magazine as one of Canada's leading appellate lawyers. He is also an adjunct professor in the Faculty of Law at the University of Toronto. Nader has received dozens of reports over the past few years from students who have been approached by the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, CSIS, Canada's spy agency. He has recently helped to establish a national security student support hotline at a research institute at the University of Toronto for these students to call to get pro bono legal advice and support. I asked Nader why he thought CSIS was contacting young Muslim students seemingly out of the blue. It's not always clear what CSIS, like in any intelligence agency, what they're actually after, whether they're after a person because they're a target or a suspect of some kind, or it's because they know that that person knows a lot of people or is well-connected within the community, and they're always looking for informants like any good spy agency does. The problem is that CSIS doesn't tell their targets why they're reaching out. And so, of course, people get scared when the National Intelligence Service shows up at their doorstep. Most of the people I advise in in relation to these issues, they're young people with squeaky clean pasts. In many respects, they're people who have exemplary pasts. They may be no older than 18 or 19 or 20 years old, but for one reason or another, uh, CSIS has decided that this is a person they need to talk to. CSIS has claimed that this approach that they're using isn't illegal. If they're correct, then what's the issue with the approach? That's a really good question. CSIS, like many spy agencies, they operate in the murky gray areas, in the legal gray zones of our laws. Technically speaking, if they approach someone and that person agrees to sit down with them, then CSIS hasn't done anything illegal. CSIS is right in that sense. You can always agree to to meet with someone. You can agree to speak to law enforcement. But just because it's not illegal doesn't make it right and, and doesn't mean that it's not problematic. Because what this smacks of is racial profiling. And over time, I've realized that there's really no rhyme or reason to who CSIS seeks out, except, number one, the overwhelming number of, of young people they're reaching out to are Muslims. And number two, they seem to have ticked another box in the sense that they're either part of the Muslim Student Association on campus, or they have recently traveled to South Asia or the Middle East or Africa to visit family. 
or they've traveled to those parts of the world for purposes of doing humanitarian work, working with an NGO or a charity. So it's really innocuous things, some might say admirable things that the student has done, combined with the fact of their religious identity that leads to the door knock from CSIS. So from a racial profiling perspective, it's problematic. It's also traumatic for many of these students. Bear in mind, a lot of these kids getting approached, and I'll call them kids because in many instances, they are no older than 18 years old, away at university for the first time. And I'm a grown man with a fair amount of legal training who knows a little bit about national security law and the powers that law enforcement and CSIS has. But I can tell you, if CSIS showed up at my doorstep, I'd be freaked out. And for these young kids who know they've done nothing wrong, who might be away from home for the very first time in their lives, to have two CSIS agents show up at their doorstep, that's a harrowing experience. And bear in mind that many of these young people, their parents may come from countries where if the National Security Service shows up unannounced at your doorstep, you may not be coming back. So it's tremendously frightening. The third reason why it's problematic is these kinds of tactics do lead to a breakdown in terms of trust between the Muslim community and the state agencies. There will be times when law enforcement or CSIS needs to call on leadership or members of the Muslim community when they're investigating a serious crime or a serious national security threat. But if CSIS has a reputation for going around and harassing young Muslims, that's going to make CSIS's job more difficult. And as a Canadian and as Canadian Muslims, we have an interest in seeing that Canada is safe and secure. And we also have an interest, however, in the human rights of, of young Muslims and all Canadians. And we see those things as going hand in hand. And that's part of our message to CSIS, that they should not be threatened by what we're doing here, which is providing young people with some education about their rights and some legal advice what we're doing will make Canada both both safer and freer and more democratic. I want to follow up on the fear point because, yes, every interaction with law enforcement is a little bit scary. And across the world, there have been different spy organizations. You can think about the KGB or the CIA. People have some familiarity with their actions, if not from news reports or books, then at least from TV and movies. Is the fear of CSIS warranted? In Canada's recent past, there have been some real horror stories involving our national security agencies and our national police, the RCMP, and sharing intelligence with foreign governments and foreign security services. And that's led some Canadians to being tortured abroad. And, you know, the, the most infamous case is the case of Mahir Arar, uh, but there have been others. There have been national inquiries, missions of inquiry into the subject, and it's a very recent and embarrassing pockmark on the work of the RCMP and CSIS, which is generally quite good. The thing about these intelligence services is that whether it's Canada or the United States, they operate oftentimes in the shadows. We often don't know what they're doing. They do have tremendous powers. And most Canadians don't know a whole lot about what they do. I think most Canadians, even well-educated Canadians, probably couldn't tell you what CSIS does, what its mandate is, what powers it has. Probably couldn't tell you about the difference between CSIS and the RCMP. 
But the reality is they play an increasingly more important role in the work of the modern state. Turning to the support hotline, do you have any concerns with the Muslim community appearing to be reluctant to cooperate with CSIS? Yeah, that is a concern. I worry about that issue every day. It's one of the reasons why I was keen to start this project, because it's not necessarily a reluctance. The advice that we give to students may not be, don't talk to CSIS or don't talk to anyone. Sometimes the right move may be for the student to cooperate and speak with CSIS. Our goal is not that students should or shouldn't be speaking with CSIS. Our goal is to make sure that students and young people understand their rights, that they understand they have the right to say no, and that they understand the pros and cons as they apply to their particular case, and that they can make decisions and form decisions with their eyes wide open. And I'm not of the view that it will always be the wrong move to speak to CSIS. Sometimes it's going to be the right move. We just want these young people to know what they're doing and to, as I say, go into that process with eyes wide open. I'd like you to take a big picture view now. We are 18 years out from 9-11, as young as some of the students who are being contacted by CSIS. What's your view on the legal landscape of anti-terrorism law and civil liberties? Has it gotten better or worse as time has gone on? I mean, it's certainly worse. When it came to law enforcement and legislation in the immediate aftermath of the post-9-11 era, there were a host of laws that were passed that we were originally told by government that these would be temporary measures, but they've now gained permanence over time. The Anti-Terrorism Act that was passed immediately after 9-11 created a whole bunch of new laws that really stretched the boundaries of traditional criminal law. It added a lot of uh, new criminal code provisions that essentially criminalized preparatory offenses and crimes of association and authorized forms of indefinite detention and authorized forms of criminal prosecution where a criminal offense had not yet been committed, arguably. And overwhelmingly, these laws seem to be used predominantly against so-called Muslim terrorists and people of non-Western extraction. Whether these laws are problematic on just a, a fundamental abstract level is one issue. Whether they stretch the bounds of criminal law too far is, is one issue to contend with. And that's the subject of much controversy. But the other issue of controversy is, you know, if you're going to have these laws, then surely you have to apply them evenly across the board. And what we have seen in terms of these prosecutions under these new laws is that they've overwhelmingly targeted uh, Muslim Canadians, whereas white nationalist terrorists have not been prosecuted under the anti-terror laws. From a perspective of civil liberties and, and equality, uh, that has been one of the, the major sources of concern with respect to these new laws in the post-9-11 era. Nader, it's been a real pleasure speaking to you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Muslim in Moderation. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and give it a rating. A new episode will be out monthly. For guest profiles, episodes and show notes, visit 
www.musliminmoderation.com